doing? What's up, David? It's good to see you, man. It's been a while. It's been a long time. I'm not actually seeing you. I'm seeing a pixelated version of you on a Zoom. Yeah. Very different. Very different. I would much rather be hanging out somewhere, setting up cameras, smelling mm -hmm. the coffee. Yeah. yeah. Well, then there'll be there'll be an opportunity for that, I'm sure. I think we're getting closer. So cool. Um, but uh, Eddie is uh, my guest for this week, Eddie Hegan. Uh, Eddie and I met in acting class, I think, in 2004 or five. It was a long time ago. Um, we were at a similar acting school. Um, and then Eddie got involved with a film company out in Brooklyn. Uh, you were involved, you did a bunch of projects with them. Um, and then I know you were kind of out doing your own thing for a while and you were auditioning and acting and getting some roles. Um, you told me prior you had some experiences with that that we would, uh, I think would be interesting to chat about a bit. And then, um, but one thing I found very interesting was that you have begun to um, get into talking about deeper philosophical and, and spiritual things that have come to you over the years uh, and how you're creative background as an actor um, kind of fed some of that. Uh, so I think, you know, when I was seeing some of your posts, I was like, I think it'd be really cool to have Ed on. I haven't spoken to him in a long time. Um, and also just to kind of see where he's at. So, um, so I, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you did and then what got you to this point now where you're feeling uh, you have a, an interesting perspective and a different way of viewing uh, kind of where we are as a society um, and what you feel you can kind of give to that. Hmm. Yeah, it's been, uh, it's been a trip. The whole life experience. It's this kind of recognition that we're kind of plucked out of the sky by our parents or whatever we're put into this flesh suit never really asked for existence but we're just we're put here and nobody seems to have a clue what's going on um inherently just from observing the nature of our species it's uh it's evident we're a nihilistic suicidal self-destructive confused, violent species. And yet we live in a civilized way in many other ways. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a testament to the psychological, how would you say, um, disease or condition, the state, if you will, of humanity and to answer your question, the way that I originally got involved and really delved into a level of spirituality was because I was looking for relief from suffering. So um, by suffering, I, I'll give you an example of one of the ways in, I, in which I suffered. I was with a girl in college and we were together for years and I thought the grass was greener on the other side. We broke it off after several years and, um, well, I, I broke it off and 
um, I went in when I when I so much time had lapsed after we had broken up, but I realized that the grass wasn't greener, and I wanted her back because she was really good to me. But I, the damage was done at that point, mm. and going into like kind of a emotional tailspin of thinking that my happiness was residing in another, that my the magical other was to complete me. And um, when that was taken away, the, the abandonment um, and the fear that it triggered within me was unprecedented at that point in my life. I'd never experienced any kind of pain like that. And so for me, it was like as someone who studied psychology in, in college, and I had this amazing professor named John Jerry Anthony Parenti. And he was this, this very liberal, effeminately homosexual, but boisterously vibrant character who taught um, classes on religion and philosophy and uh, different um, belief systems. And it was a celebration, if you will, of all different types, you know, not, not getting too dogmatic, but more about the essence of spirituality. And I've learned things about meditation and Tai Chi and Qigong and all this trippy stuff. And at the same time, I had traveled in college too. So I kind of had this like, like meeting different people and just sparked this curiosity. And so back to when I kind of, went into this emotional tailspin, I'm thinking to myself, you know, what is the solution to this pain, this, this suffering that I'm feeling disconnected from this source, this love? Is it outside of me? Is it someone else? Is it, is it, is it within me? And so going on like kind of a classic psychotherapy type of modality of trying to understand the way the brain works and reading things like this guy, James Hollis, who was a, a Jungian analyst, um, Jung versus Freud as uh, primary schools of psycho psychological thought, understanding our shadows, our complexes, our subconscious, and how we are this kind of complex bundle of preconditioned nerves that reacts to our surroundings based upon the conditioning of our past and our, 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 our from, from birth. Mm -hmm for the first several years, we kind of become conditioned in so many ways. And so I, so it was just this kind of fascinating quest to understand myself as a person and the way that others, human behavior in general. And then once you start going down there, you realize that um, you come to know that you know nothing at all. That the, the way that we are and the way we think, the way we respond to life, we think we're in the driver's seat and nothing could be further from the truth as far as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. um, we are not in control of much. And um, there's a mystery to it that I think a lot of people are afraid to embrace that they, they wanna know like their God is the God. My belief system is my belief system and I'm gonna do these rituals so I get into the magic place and you guys fuck man, because you know, you didn't. And um, that never worked for me. I was an altar boy and everything, but that never worked. This whole idea of eating the magic cracker and drinking the blood. I mean, just the, even the concept of this kind of, you know, 3000 year old zombie and you, you eat his flesh and drink his blood and you have eternal life. It's, it's, 
it's it's inherent if you told someone that today and they didn't grow up in it Mm-hmm. it's it's kind of strange and it always felt that way to me and so so my I guess my spirituality and that journey has become maybe a way to maybe find my own religion develop my own rituals and um, create my own way of relating with the natural world and then the mystery of where we come from and where we go if we go anywhere at all mm-hmm. um, and so really it's been about just embracing that mystery studying it, understanding, connecting with people from all over the place. Um, And that's been one of the most amazing experiences, connecting with people who similarly explore these concepts and really understand in a fun way, just kind of how to explore the the nature of our species and this existence. I I just find it all fascinating. And so really that's where a lot of it, um, the, the genesis was to understand, manage and reduce my suffering. And then the other side of that was this kind of like Pandora's box in a beautiful way of, of embracing this mystery of what it means to be a human being. So this started prior to you getting involved in acting. This was stuff you were working on in college. So by the time I knew you, you had already started a lot of these kind of explorations, right? Sometimes... You don't go to the dentist if you don't have a toothache. But if you got a toothache, you, you you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna get to the dentist. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one is uh, that might help to kind of explain that is uh, there are no atheists and atheists in foxholes. Mm-hmm. You heard that one? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Something about um, we suffering sometimes prods us into that. And so my answer to your question is when I find things are going well, I kind of just ride that out. And then usually when it's, when there's suffering, it tends to put me into deeper and more of a, maybe um, a need to understand more of an, in more of an esoteric way. So I'll go into, into um, trying to find and, and curate information, but there were gaps of time in my life where I, where I was not doing any of that. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, what I was doing was when I was suffering, I was drinking booze and trying to fuck as many women as I could mm-hmm. because, and I was also running into burning buildings and part of like a way to almost like, well, I was a fireman for 14 years. That's right. Right. And, um, between the adrenaline of firefighting, the the chase, the numbing uh, through copious amounts of booze, um, you, or not you, I'll speak for myself. I attempted like so many other people have to manage and mitigate my problems by numbing and distracting. Mm-hmm. Thought my, you know, I could, you know, maybe if I, maybe if I, Maybe if I slept with enough women, I'd I'd fill that hole in my soul. Right. Uh, the I I would I would feel that I wouldn't feel that that abandonment or that that insecurity or that um that pain of aloneness. Like if I could capture that, you know. So 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 I'll I'll pursue the orgasm and I'll try to I'll try to take even if, even if I'm not reciprocating, even if I'm not even if I know someone likes me and wants maybe to have something more, I would just kind of take 
from them because I wasn't capable of, uh, essentially I wasn't loving myself enough, uh, or if I, if I was at all, right. to, to be in a healthy relationship. So there was this kind of dysfunction built into the way that I pursued women, you know, in a pathological way to, to try to, um, again, just in an effort to numb and distract from, from maybe some loneliness or some despair, or, you know, you're going in, your friends were killed on, on September 11th. I had my face cut open with a, with a razor blade from the middle of my forehead down to my neck. I had my ear cut in half during a bar fight. Um, these traumas were never dealt with. And as a matter of fact, a kid growing up in Brooklyn, if you, you know, were to, um, know show a chink in your armor and maybe express that you were having some sadness or difficulty i mean you'd quickly be told you know stop being a faggot mm -hmm. don't be such a pussy man up or whatever it might be and you get to a certain age in your life and you realize that it actually takes a lot of bravery to be vulnerable and to um to be able to express sadness and to really be able to be honest about um true feelings but most people feel that now, I wouldn't say most people, but a lot of men that I've come in contact with feel that that's emasculating. And, um, uh, you know, it's not that I just disagree. It's, it's also that as I've gotten older and I've come to understand myself, I've also come into working professionally with people to help them heal their own traumas. And what you recognize is a lot of the suffering that, that people endure are as a result of traumas they've never resolved. Mm -hmm. And that takes real work and it takes being vulnerable. It takes, it takes doing a personal inventory of what you're really going through, like no numbing and distracting to actually sit there and allow your feelings to be felt. Even the ones that you don't want to feel or admit. Right. Um, and yeah, so, so it becomes kind of now this thing where, it's not about me anymore. Um, it's about my capacity and potential to serve others through my own life experience and um, try to integrate that in a way that can be helpful to help other people who suffer. Get so back we were talking a little bit before um, we started up just about uh, accepting the light and the dark, you know, to life, um, yeah. the ups and downs. And, you know, if you're always spending your life trying to run away from the things that make you uncomfortable, you're, you're denying an aspect of um, who you are or the experience in general. So it's almost like you have to embrace that uh, or you, you try to cover it up. I, you know, I have my own experiences as well, but in your case, you know, you try to cover it up with drinking and women and things like that or running into a burning, burning building. Um, you know, you're kind of uh, looking at doing those things to, um, to distract perhaps away from, mm. you know, the other stuff. So was, was acting like one of those thrills for you that kind of helped you to avoid or did acting kind of bring you to this realization by studying humanity, so to speak? That's a loaded question. <laughs> I know you knew that already. That's <laughs> probably why you asked it. That's interesting. I like it it's like the chicken or the egg or the, you know, the life imitating art art imitating life. I don't know. I know. That's a really good question, Dave. I really thought about that like that. Uh, I'd like to at least start and address that by simply saying that 
we've been robbed. Mm-hmm. Who is who's been? All of us. And I'll I'll um I we, we touched on this a little bit, and this is something that's resonant within me all the time. So you and I, if we go back just a couple thousand years, and then take you know millennia spanning back, we if we lived near each other, we 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 would be part members of a tribe. Mm-hmm. We would get up in the morning, go out, we would hunt, we would fish, we would work the land, we would harvest vegetables, whatever we needed to eat, water, chop wood, keep ourselves warm in the winter. Sounds very commonplace to say it, but we don't do any of those things anymore, obviously. If there was a neighboring tribe that was coming to attack our tribe, me and you would be next to each other and we would kill, we would spill blood and scalp, kill, eviscerate, however, bludgeon uh, another to death to protect each other. I would, I would kill to protect your family. I would even die if it meant I could protect you, our village. And you would do the same for me. Right. And I never needed to say, I love you, Dave. Um, I needed, I, I didn't need to say it to anybody in the village. We didn't need to say it because inherently when you go back after war with the spoils, you go, uh, you go back with the, the victory of the hunt and you harvest in the, in, in these, these ritual ways, ritualistic ways. And women are nursing children and, and the fire is built with the wood that's been chopped and everybody is warm and everybody's fed and people are protected. Like there's an inherent understanding of our life it's not even an understanding you, you don't you don't need to like say like i'm i'm not sure what my life purpose is i'm not sure if he loves me or not like none of those things were in question because they were they were just they were inherent to our existence mm-hmm. if to be born is to be part of this you didn't you didn't you didn't exist you didn't survive it was a an interdependent way of living that existed forever and now people are depressed because when they're mourning sadness or they're celebrating life or they're going through something, they, they feel like they're disconnected, but they don't know why. And so they think something is inherently wrong with them. But meanwhile, there's nothing wrong with them. It's just that they've been removed from their environment and put, it's like, like taking, a, taking an animal out of the wild and putting it in a, and, and then expecting that somehow it's, it's going to, yeah, we've domesticated some animals, but the truth be told, in some ways we are these animal, primal animals being forced to live in societies and wear fabric strips of you know, fancy things around our necks to kind of signal to it's become this weird perverted way of, of interacting and connecting that, that really is not connected to procuring uh, sustenance for ourselves through connecting with nature and being out in the sun and using our physical bodies to actually work together as a team to hunt an animal, to feed our village. It's, it's none of, none of that is happening. And so that, that I just wanted to say to set the stage mm-hmm. somewhere in those villages, I just described were like campfires and information was handed down from generation to generation vertically. Um, that ultimately was pre-printing press and cameras and all that stuff. So information, wisdom, 
stories, parables, fables, fairy tales, whatever you want to call them. They were handed down through imagery, through dance, through song, through, through storytelling. Mm-hmm. And that's essentially what filmmaking is to me. It's connected to this long, deep lineage of, of storytelling for the sake of, again, back to it, understanding what the fuck it is this whole experience is about, understanding the nature of of, of what it means to be a human being and be on a planet hurtling through the universe and, and really what it means to not understand what it means to the mystery of it. It creates this need to kind of understand it. And I believe a lot of the filmmaking and story. So inherently the acting for me was never about fame or money or, 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 or making it in Hollywood. It was about this need to, tap into this ancient lineage and of traditions and customs where we transfer information and this need to kind of stay connected to that tradition. So that, that's, that, that's the way I would say that I look at it now. When I was doing it back then, and, and that's why it's a loaded question, when I was doing it back then, did I, did I think of it in, that, in those terms? Absolutely not. I was driven in ways that I didn't understand and I probably still don't fully understand now. Yeah. So it's a so, constant evolution. So when you said that you we've been robbed, do you feel that we've, in our modern society and culture, that we've lost yeah. an element of that storytelling, of the story around the campfire? Because someone else brought it up. You and I had a conversation, I think about two months ago, when I asked you to do this. And we yeah. talked for a great time. And I said, I actually wish I had recorded that. But um, now the, the the strongest themes are always resonant. So you'll always tap into them if we have a good enough conversation. Yeah, no. But I so one of the things that was interesting was someone else, one of the other guests a couple of weeks ago had mentioned about the campfire um, and about stories and campfires and mm-hmm. why certain films resonate nowadays in the movie theater and other ones don't. So do you feel that we've lost something in where we are today as far as storytelling and the campfire and that experience as a tribe um because there's a lot of tribalism that goes on nowadays and it's a lot of negative tribalism it's you know i want to destroy your tribe because you offended me because you wore you know uh, velcro sneakers instead of shoelaces i mean it's it's gotten insane so do you feel that we've lost something um with that, what you were talking about, where we've been robbed in that sense. Yeah, I think it's apparent. Mm-hmm. I think it's apparent that, um, it, I, th- I think more importantly, to really tie it in properly to creativity, and uh, we can even go to the music industry and you know use, use certain aspects of hip hop as a hyperbolic example of the exploitation, but, yeah, I do believe that that tying those two together is an integral part of understanding the nature of of how we interact with with um, culture, because the culture that is produced, the uh, okay, the the culture that comes out of traditional tribalism is inherently traditional because it 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 operates within a lineage that's kind of a closed container. Mm-hmm. You know, you were your tribe. 
you were Clan La Rosa and you were, you know, you were part of it. You know, you were the son of this one and the grandson of this one and whatever it was. And that's why all that shit was a big deal. Right. Even Game of Thrones type level, like, you know, if the, the bastard son was like exile, like really that bloodline and lineage was like a kind of a big deal. Mm-hmm. The societies we live in are not obviously containers of tribes. Um, tribalism is more based on now, um, it seems, viruses of the mind to some extent. And when I say a virus of the mind, I don't mean it in a pejorative. I just say that the, the information is like a contagion to some extent. Mm-hmm. Um, myself included. I can talk about, you know, information, esoteric, religious, dogmatic information that maybe, you know, at one point, some points I believe. So it's not, it's not limited to, to manipulation, but back to the creative aspects and the society we live in. When you take that authentic, uh, the purity, the intent of the, of the storytelling. So let's say an elder was going to actually transfer information to young David. Maybe you were 12 or 13 and we were going to initiate you into the tribe and you were going to start hunting and fishing and you were going to have to be a brave warrior and we were going to have to teach you to go through the nights without your mother if you were scared of the dark and just kind of like kind of this these rites of passage, these rituals, if you will, that we no longer engage in. Mm -hmm. It's like a closed container. Of, and, and, and these are kind of like earned and that's, and, and it still exists. I mean, that's essentially what the community or the, or the bar mitzvah or, you know, you know, it still exists on some level, but it's a, it's a watered down kind of, you know, it's, it, it's a, a, a shell of what it, what it used to be to actually have an actual rite of passage. Right. And when you talk about society as a whole, now the creative process has then been exploited and manipulated to the point now where they're not concerned about using this platform of to disseminate information that is beneficial to the um, emotional spiritual well-being of the species as a as a collective or the even on the individual level the platform has been exploited to benefit the the consumer model and the corporations are just tapping into whatever it is can addict the, as we started the conversation first off, this reactive bundle of neurons. And now, as you can see, all content is being created to addict that part of our brain in the way that candy lights up our, our tongue. And that, you know, so, so essentially, there by nature within a capitalist society and that's not me saying that you know we should be communist i'm just let's call the facts the facts living in a capitalist society wherein the corporation's ultimate agenda is to make the most amount of money this faceless nameless corporation has one goal and that is to maximize profit to maximize profit is then to use a platform like filmmaking, like music that used to be inherently a traditional form of transferring information and to hijack that vehicle and now use it just to make money. Mm -hmm. Even if that means I'm gonna write a song called Wet Ass Pussy and Cardi B is going to make that the number one song and Rolling Stone is gonna fucking sanction it and everything. Am I allowed to curse on this? Yeah, absolutely. 
And and Rolling Stone is going to sanction this as if this is like a legitimate. And and dude, I'm no prude, man. I listened to gangster rap growing up. I can recite lyrics from Cypress Hill about fucking murder and violence, and I I I I can tap into the to the those aspects of the culture, but we can't pretend like morally, ethically, emotionally, spiritually, we're headed in any direction that we should feel good about. Mm-hmm. Quite the opposite. So the point is going back to kind of like understanding the genesis of, of what it means to be collaboratively creative in an artistic and expressive way uh, as an inheritance from tradition. And then to see that to be a part and parcel of the corporate corporatized system that you, you must renounce certain aspects of it or the, the, some, some aspects of the value of it. And so it kind of puts you into a position where you're like, do I really want to make it in an industry that ultimately is, you know, run by a guy like Harvey Weinstein, who, you know, if, if, if you suck him off, he'll, uh, he'll give you a part in his, in his movie. Mm-hmm. And how does that adequately um, honor the potential of what, it, what films as you and I, as, as, as film lovers and filmmakers, how does it, how much does that diminish the value and the potential of what that art form used to be and could truly potentially be? Right. And how do we reconcile that for the future? Mm-hmm. Do you have any ideas? <laughs> on how to uh, reconcile that yeah well i mean i look i mean look th- th- this is proof of concept dave we're doing it right you and i are instead of going out there and blowing each other's heads off and trying to sensationalize the latest model of what it means to be a popular movie in hollywood or you know whatever the, the modern industry is called we're utilizing the same technology that people are masturbating to free porn to to watching cat videos to kids doing tiktok dances to you know there's there there it's like this weapon it can be weaponized it's this powerful tool what is it is it the is social media the worst thing in the world or is the way we're using it like fire can be used to burn something but it can also be used to to create the steam engine that 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 it creates power if harnessed and directed in the right way um with this conversation is if 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 it if it's a if it's a, a living a moving organism that we're part of this conversation is a is a healthier part of that using that technology the world wide web we're not near each other but we've stayed connected mm-hmm. and we're capable of communicating in a real visceral way right now and we can choose to use the platform, the technology, how we want. We can write, and, and, and here's, the, here's the birth of the concept. We could write a one act about guys that sit down to do a podcast and get into a crazy argument, but they, they pull themselves back from it. And maybe there's a few scenes like, can, can, can this become a way of modern storytelling? Is this, could this be, a, a feature. Could you hit play on on Netflix, and all of a sudden this screen pops up, and you watch a conversation between two dudes that 
you know, are trying to have a conversation about one thing and then it turns out to be something completely different. Can, where can you explore the potential of this technology? Even social media, it's been weaponized and it's tapping into our kids' brains in a way that is, is highly addictive and, and, and toxic and corrosive. The, yeah. the, the empirical data is clear. I mean, young girls committing suicide at unprecedented rates, like this shit is real. Mm-hmm. So like, like we need to get a hold on this shit too. This is not about, oh, I can't make feature films like, like Scorsese did. I'm so bummed about it. No, this is about, no, there's an opportunity for something so much more vastly powerful happening that may not yield us fame and recognition, but there's a potential there. And the potential now is being tapped into in a corrosive and toxic way. And I think it's up to the artists, maybe even a renaissance post-COVID to take some of the power of this platform, powerful, international, global platform, take some of it back and let's try to use it in a creative and a, and a, and a, and a focused way with mm-hmm. the intent to, to connect, to learn, to understand. It, it, it's, it's, it's our responsibility. It's our obligation. The thing that I think I found most interesting about social media, and you spoke to it, was the fact that, um, you know, I, I've I've equated it very much to like a gun, you know, in the middle of the street. Uh, and, you know, it, a gun alone in the middle of the street is an object, you know, it's mass, it's material, it's, it's a bunch of atoms keeping itself together. Um, what you choose to do with it is what gives it an identity. You know what I mean? And social media is very similar. Uh, I see a lot of people um, attacking and lighting each other up constantly. Look, I do too from time to time. Something will get in my craw and I'll, I'll you know, you get into that mood, you know, and you, you want to get it into it with somebody. Right. You know, you're going to you're going to learn them good. You're going to teach them the right ways of the world. Um, I'm sure we've changed so many minds. Yeah, until they uh, shut up Facebook and then leave. And then they forget about it because it doesn't matter. It's all bullshit. Um, but, you know, that doesn't, and even with that being said, I guarantee you at some point I'll, you know, I'll have a discussion with somebody. I try not to do it because it's, oh, you walk away from it and you always feel guilty. like an idiot. Yeah. And you're yeah. like, and I, and I bet you they walk away and feel like an idiot too, most times. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the thing that I really found interesting about this podcast idea was to use something that is considered primarily negative now, which is Facebook. Now, I don't even go on Twitter because I just felt that was a lost cause. Um, but actually use it for something positive, like these podcasts, you know, as a way to uh, say, like, you know, look, this is these are conversations between human beings talking about um, their different perceptions and understanding of this world and especially this time you know you and i grew up in a in a similar decade of the 70s and 80s which was very 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 different i don't know if it was a fantasy of you know goodness uh or if it was a hundred or you know 50 percent. it was probably a little 50 50 it was some good some bad um but i look at the times that we live in now and it's like wow I'm, sometimes you do feel like you're in the twilight zone if you allow yourself to get pulled in by what the media and film and uh, social media are telling you. So, you know, it becomes a very, um, it can be a very dangerous way because you can begin to uh, define who you are 
based on posts and how many people like your post did your family like your post and you know your family now you know your family has an issue with you so they don't like your posts as a way to get back at you you know just tons and tons of bullshit. where it used to be you found out during christmas or easter if someone liked you or not because they wouldn't talk to you at the family you know party <laughs> that's how you knew yeah. um or they'd give you like the stink eye you know or from my other side of my family the evil eye you know so um so what do you feel what are your thoughts you feel like we're in a very interesting i mean it sounds like it based on what you've said but a very interesting and hard to relate to time or do you feel that this is a breakthrough time it's a time that's gonna that is like the beginning of some kind of awareness a higher um alertness for a a element of the population not everybody but humanity has gone through these stages of spiritual development um you know who we are now is very different from who we were a thousand years ago a thousand years before that it was very different a thousand years before that it was very different so you know, we seem to go through these growth periods do you feel we're on the verge of one of those growth periods now Yes. And I think it's the nature of this life experience. Uh, we tend to personalize what we go through because, you, you know, it's, it's much, um, it's an egocentric way of looking at the universe from our perspective. We don't have another perspective. Mm -hmm. But backing up a few steps to an earlier part of, of how you posed that question, when you indicated that we grew up in the 70s and the 80s, you're, there, is, there is an aspect of how we grew up that is vastly different than any other time in history. Dude, when you and I were born, video games did not exist. When mm -hmm. you and I were born, the internet did not exist. Home computers did not exist. Cable TV, I didn't have cable TV. You might have, if you were early on, who knows? Jersey kid. Um, smartphones did not exist. Social media did not exist. We can go on and talk about, but we remember a time when all of these things did not exist. Now, everybody that's dead, obviously never even knew this stuff ever existed. But everybody moving forward will never, ever, ever know life without them. Mm -hmm. They are they are inherent. Yeah, I don't know if you ever see kids in a, in, in a stroller. Sometimes these kids are fucking jacked up on on toxic on you know dopamine dumps from stimulating and uh, and, and bright like like yeah. we we we, are, we cannot compare. And I'm not trying to do this to be grandiose or special. I'm talking about you literally can't compare pre-internet pre-smartphone let's just call it pre-internet mm -hmm. because the smartphone is just an extension obviously of that yeah but we we are living in a time where one of the most significant changes and not only significant change but the exponential rate at which the technology is like 
when the printing press was invented, it was amazing, but it took a long fucking time for all of those printing presses to get built and, and actually produce. The, so it, it eventually happened, but now it's like the, the PC, the internet, and now everybody's got a, within a couple of decades, everybody's got a supercomputer in their hand. Yeah. It's like that time frame from which it all happened within our life to actually witness it, I find is amazing. Amazing. Mm -hmm. and, and, and you can see the difference between our species from those that existed in the time previous and those that do not. Mm -hmm. I have two children. I have a 14-year-old boy and a 17-year-old daughter. They are different people the way that they interact with each other is vastly different than 14 and 16 year old, 17 year olds communicated when I was that age. Mm -hmm. And I know that's always the case to some extent, but specifically regarding growing up using devices as a primary communication tool, as opposed to making eye contact and watching that pregnant pause mm -hmm. and thinking about what you're going to say and how are you going to say it. But when you say it, there's no taking it back and editing it and tapping into the authenticity of what you're feeling so that you can learn to communicate effectively. Um, a lot of that stuff is being now integrated into um, it, the, the way that, so, so it's one thing it's one thing to use the communication tool and it's a completely other thing to lack the ability to have a conversation with someone where you do make eye contact and you do communicate in a really visceral and natural and organic way because it's a skill set that we assume that the child is going to learn but when these devices interrupt that process i worry about what it means for Dude, I got, a, I got actually a good example of this. A friend of a friend's daughter is away at college in Long Island. Okay. And gets pulled over by the cops or something happened where the police were involved. And the girl is saying to this cop and the cop is like, you know, some 25 year old kid or whatever. Don't you know who my uncle is? My uncle is Marty Scorsese. And legitimately, it's Marty Scorsese's niece. Legitimately. Mm -hmm. But this guy had no clue who he was. And like my point simply being, when you talk about these cultures, and specifically it being someone like Marty Scorsese, who I think is kind of a quintessential representation of the industry that we loved and grew up on. Um, there is such a disconnect that something that's considered epically um, mainstream within our lexicon mm -hmm. is something that a 25 year old has no, no connection to no relevance. What's, what, what. So, so you wonder when speaking in conversation, when you speak passionately about something, like if you spoke passionately about, about film, about feature filmmaking and the, the, the dialogue driven character driven narrative, uh, of, of the feature film, 
to a 20 something year old who wasn't studying film? Could mm. they even understand your language? Right. Could they even get it? Mm-hmm. Could they? Do they, don't, they don't have the language. Yeah. Well, they also don't have the life experience to yeah. get, like we had a script analysis done for one of our scripts that we're currently working on, but two, and both times they were young 20-somethings. Um, and these stories were about people in their 30s and 40s coming to that point in their life where they're like, hey, all my dreams haven't come true. Um, what are my next steps? And to these these writers or these, these script analysis people, they were critiquing elements of the script because they simply didn't understand it. They didn't have the life experience. Um, and I think that goes to what you're talking about, which is that, you know, we have those little, um, you know, uh, clusters of, of knowledge that we are uh, a part of and define our reality, but they don't necessarily define everyone else's reality. And one of my past guests, uh, Sal, um, brought up a really good point uh, about the, the campfire <clears throat> storytelling and how much everything has changed and it goes to the internet again um in the respects that you know back in the 90s on thursdays most of us were going to be watching friends seinfeld and possibly er uh and then on friday in school or college or job whatever we'd all be talking about it um people that like sci-fi on sundays would be talking about the x-files and then people were talking about it at the water cooler on Monday. Remember sitting down on like a Friday night to watch The Wizard of Oz as a kid? Yeah, yeah. With like a ball of popcorn in your lap? Yep, yep. It was an epic event, yeah. Yeah, and you and everyone else, because there were three stations for the most part, everybody else was going to be experiencing the similar thing. And what Sal said, he said, the, you know, my, my son now may be watching the same show as his friends, but his friends are watching it on Sunday and he's watching it now. <laughs> and there's, we've kind of lost that. Um, everyone's always had their own cluster, but there used to be a town square, I think we kind of all uh-huh. went to, you know, and that gave us a sense of, I think, cohesion as a group, as a species. And I think what the internet has kind of done, um, unintentionally, because it's not a living organism, it's a thing. Um, is it's kind of divided that out where we are all over the place now we have something going on over and here and something it's almost like when you were in college you go to a big party you know and everyone's bombed and blitzed out of their mind and every room had something different going on in it um you know and and you didn't always know like what the hell was going on all the rooms that was part of the excitement of going to a house party you go in, you're like, I don't know what the hell is going on in this room. You open the door and you go, oh, I don't want any part of that. You shut the door. But then there might be another room. You're like, yeah, I'm, I'm down with that. That's cool. You know, but then you had the main living room where everyone ultimately had to come because there was the front door. You know, <laughs> everyone had to go in that way unless they were jumping out windows, you know, and we've kind of lost the living room. You know, we've kind of lost the front door is a little confusing to find. Um, and because now it's on the sides of the house, it's on the front, it's in the back, go through the garage, whatever. Um, but we've kind of lost that living room, that, that community space. Um, 
And I think that it is, it's very interesting. I, I don't think we've ever lived in a time, and as you said, where we have had this kind of technology, this amount of growth this quickly, where you can get information like that. I used to have to go to the library with my library card, go look through the Dewey Decimal System. Dewey Decimal System. Yep, to find the book of what I wanted to read to find out or an encyclopedia. Nowadays, it's like, there's the phone. Let me check out Google. Well, who's but oh, okay. I got the information. So it's great in that sense because you can get information right away. But then there's the flip side, you know, of everybody. There, like I'm, I'm always very curious on what is going to bring people back to the living room, to that, to that campfire. You know, I don't have the answer. I have no idea. But I'm very interested because I think one of the reasons why i think people bicker in the way that they do is because they're simply not used to this level of i think the technology has advanced faster than our brains have been able to adapt to it so we've kind of missed a step and we're we're trying to learn you know i mean you know like in the 1800s clothes changed Medicine still sucked. Um, and uh, you kind of hoped you didn't stub your toe on a nail because you were probably fucked, you know. Um, and then in the early 1900s, penicillin and medicine and all these other things. And suddenly it's like, oh, technology. What's this stuff? What's this electricity stuff we got going on now? Oh, cars, planes. I mean, you know, in less than 100 years, we went from not being able to fly to landing a man on the moon. You know, it was at 70, 69, 70 years. That's pretty amazing that humanity never had that level of growth. So I'm, I'm very fascinated to see what is going to bring us back to that living room. You have any thoughts? Yeah, this, I, I think I like the metaphor of the town square better than the living room. Although I appreciate the, it definitely helps us to understand it in a in a more natural setting yeah and there's so much truth to it and then yet you will go all the way to the other end of that kind of statement kind of question and we're talking about modern advances like antibiotics and modern plumbing that allowed our species to procreate at a rate in which we can now clearly see that the world is vastly overpopulated and we are contributing to our ultimate demise um so that's a lot um, in there. Let's start with the, the idea of the living room or the town square. Um, the answer to what will make people come back to the living room is the same thing that made me go back, I believe, is suffering. Suffering. I believe in mass we are, we are suffering um, from some form of uh, mental um, suffering, some emotional suffering. And I believe a lot of that suffering, again, is it, we are unaware of the genesis of why we suffer because we've been robbed. But we're not aware that we've been robbed of it because we, it's not like we remember the village. Again, we remember the village a bit, right? We remember what it was like to go out and play in a big wheels. 
we remember what it was like to go outside and get muddy. We remember what it was like to ride around the back of a station wagon and not wear a seatbelt. We remember the pre-internet days, but the kids growing up now, they will have nothing to compare it to. They will have no frame of reference for that understanding. Yes, that gap of the exponential rate of technology advancing. I mean, Jesus. And, and the nature of the technology is that it's like a, it's like a spiral. That, 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 that the more the technology advances, the faster it goes. And now it's advancing at such a rate that, that again, a computer like this, first of all, never existed 20, 20 30 years ago. But if, it, if and when it did at one point, it was the size of a city block. Mm -hmm. And so the, the technology is advancing at a rate that definitely our brains as these, because we're, dude, we're animals, straight up and down. Sorry if somebody's watching this and you don't want to accept this fact. That's totally fine. But if society went downhill and there was some sort of natural disaster, people would get real, real quick. They would mm -hmm. become savage animals really quickly. So don't don't think that just because you you're a law-abiding citizen that that we 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 all are agree on these rules to keep everybody safe and society organized. But we are animals, and if put under a certain amount of duress or put into a situation where we feel we are threatened, we feel like something is unsafe, we're going to react in natural ways. And I do truly feel like we're going to do a little bit of both. We're going to do some regressive primal kind of reacting to some of these advancements in technology. And also we're going to evolve to kind of integrate and get more used to them. So now you and I may return to the actual campfire and be like, dude, we're going upstate, we're chopping wood, we're lighting a fire, we're going to go hunting and we're going to like, we're going to practice staying connected to the old ways. Meanwhile, our kids, the future generations, they, they won't even again have a reference point. So their brains will literally evolve to become more integrated into the cyber living room. Mm -hmm. Um. So the answer to your question is, unfortunately, I don't think we're going back anywhere. I don't think the genie is going back in the bottle. Does that mean that we're not going to live in primal, natural, traditional ways? No, it means that for as long as there are people that exist that want to do that, like myself and possibly you, we'll go and do that. But that might also be, it might be evolved out of our species and, and the future could be a dystopian kind of post-apocalyptic. I mean, look, the, the way that we're going right now, it's unsustainable. Mm -hmm. it, the projections are clear. Sorry to be a doom and gloomer, but the reality is that a lot of the places where people live right now, they're not going to be able to live. The climate projections, the, the increase in temperature, the increase in the sea levels, uh, are going to make those places uninhabitable. We are not going to have enough clean, fresh drinking water, arable land that has nutrient density to support crops that can yield us the nutrients necessary to survive on the level and the mass that we are right now. Uh, I think that a lot of our energy is gonna have to be redirected to either undoing or figuring out a way to 
inhabit this planet after we've caused such catastrophic damage for so many generations. And for people to really take an account of what it means to be alive and to use this planet as a source of sustenance. And I think that's also gonna take some control of the population. And what I mean by that is people recognizing that, you know, just having tons of children is not necessarily uh, a great idea. Mm-hmm. So, um, how do you stop people from having kids? Uh, especially people who are already impoverished. Um, it's, we're hardwired because again, we're fucking animals. Guys want to inseminate females and females want to carry a child because that we're wired to survive as a species. It's, it's, it's kind of simple. So I I don't really know. I mean, I can't predict the future, but I do think it's going to be a combination of everything you've mentioned. Some people are going to return to the living room. Some people are not going to get it. And ultimately we're going to evolve in a way that's going to integrate both some of the traditional and some of the technological advances, both. Yeah. Yeah. Remains to be seen, bro. (laughs) It's still, it's still very much a mystery. Yeah, no, it is. Absolutely. I guess that's part of the fun is that it is a mystery. I think Um, it's beautiful than a lot more. I think, I think the mystery, if we allow it to be, can be much more beautiful than anything that we pretend to know. mm -hmm. I think embracing the mystery of the fact that we're again, plucked out of the sky and put in these flesh suits and we're flying around on a ball of dirt through the universe. Really no idea why we're here or what we're doing. And the fact that nobody talks about this on a regular basis, we talk about, yeah, the Kardashians. Mm yeah, I, I think it's a trip. And I think where we came from, where we go, potentially the God, the existence of the, in the cosmos and our relative position and in relation to that, I think that the whole concept of it is far more mysterious and fascinating than the story of going to heaven and angels and, and yeah. wherever else, you know, we might believe in more dogmatic versions. I think it's a beautiful way to embrace the mystery of, of what it means to be alive. I agree. I think so as well. Um, you had mentioned that you uh, work with people. Do you want to do a plug? Do you have a business that you're doing? You I do, so the work that I do is by referral only. Um, it's the nature of wanting to stay connected in an organic way. Um, so that like if someone had an, uh, an issue and they didn't know who to turn to, um, they'd say, hey, go you know, speak to this person. So if someone watches this, if there's someone that knows you and they want to reach out to me on social media, uh, right now on social media, I go by at Ed Woodstock, E-D-W-O-O-D-S-T-O-C-K. And um, you can follow me. I put out um, sometimes just some snippets of, of knowledge that of something that might be resonating within me, or sometimes I'll do uh, uh, short videos, or um, I also like to um, integrate some of the other teachings of people that have much more knowledge than myself. So for me, it's about using, again, back to what we we're talking about before, using technology um, in a responsible way. And so I would be, anybody, for anybody that's watching this, I'd be uh, interested, if you're interested in any of the topics we've discussed, to continue a dialogue with people who really are interested in, in the discourse of what it means to have an open dialogue. And if someone out there is, suffering and wants to understand more about the nature of their suffering 
and the understanding of that and how to manage and mitigate that, there are lots of tools and modalities and resources that um, many people have gone through these experiences before that can really be a helpful shortcut in kind of helping to manage some of the challenges that we will deal with, um, whether it's people that we love. Uh, right now I'm dealing with end of life issues with my parents, my mom has dementia and Alzheimer's. Um, and so sometimes we find ourselves in similar predicaments, in which case we can really help each other to see each other's pain, to recognize each other's struggles and to be there just to kind of allow each other to kind of maybe work through some of these stronger emotions. So if that resonates with, with anybody, if somebody recognizes that they're going through a tough time and they feel disconnected and they wanna connect with people who understand these things and can help them to alleviate their suffering, definitely reach out to me on social media and uh, either I can help you directly through uh, yoga meditation and like uh, essentially what that is, is teaching people how to use their physiology through breathing to recognize that the way that we react to our environment can create a physiological cascade of neurotransmitters that can put us into a state of fight or flight that can make us feel really anxious. And um, having some tools at your disposal and staying connected with people that understand these things and can really help work through these things can be a really valuable resource. So anybody that's interested in any of these topics can feel free to reach out to me on social media. Now, is that mostly through Instagram or also uh, Facebook? It's it's through both right now. I, okay. I, I just like you discussed, I struggle with, you know, you know, is it is it something that I wanna be so regularly connected with, but I do recognize it as a tool for right now. Mm -hmm. I do use Instagram and I do use Facebook and, um, you know, for, for right now, I still find them useful tools to connect with people within the community. Cool. I'll put those links below. So if anybody Beautiful. is watching this and they're interested, they can reach out to you um, yeah. directly. And I want to thank you for coming on. This was a, I had a feeling this was going to be a very uh, deep and informative conversation and you certainly delivered on that. So thank you, man. I appreciate it. No problem. And just one more thing I'd like to mention Yeah. down the road, I will be, uh, organizing and running uh, actual men's group. And I'm not at liberty to advertise about it right now, but um, we're working on programming and it should probably be out next fall at some point. Uh, so if you do follow that social media, um, it will be available. And that will be uh, a group, a relatively intimate, probably under 12 or 10 of people that meet regularly. And it probably is going to be a men's group at this point, because I feel like there's a lot of guys out there that that need an outlet and a place to come to the town square and connect. Mm. So um, stay tuned for that as well. And, um, dude, I'm, I'm so glad we were able to reconnect. And uh, I would love to stay connected. And maybe we could talk about developing a project where we could do, uh, you know, some sort of a, a, even a film concept as a. As sort of uh, integrating it with the technology of, of social media and Zoom. Let's do yeah. a little experiment. Let's collaborate, brother. <laughs> Sounds good to me, man. All right, man. Like awesome it. talk, Dave. Great talking to you, brother. Same here, man. I will. Uh, thanks for coming on board, and I will. Uh, I'll chat with you soon. All right, man. Be well. Yeah, you too.